We're going to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you're using one of these black paperback Bibles, that's page 854. If you've got a gold Bible, that's on page 578. should be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, please follow along as I read. This is God's word. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this apostle, for Paul, and for the way that you worked in him and the way you worked through him. And we're just so grateful that near the end of his life, sitting in a prison cell, your spirit came upon him and you, through him, wrote this beautiful letter for us that you, you were speaking through him and even now at this moment you are speaking through him. And so we don't want to approach this as just an interesting artifact. We want to approach this as the word of God as our Father addressing us this morning. And so please, please open our ears, open our hearts, and I pray that you would speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to do a a mental exercise with you guys this morning that sometimes I do for myself just to give myself perspective. So this is how it begins. Are you guys ready? Um, You all have at least two parents, right? You, you may not have known your parents, you may not have grown up with them, you might have adoptive parents, step-parents in the mix. You have at least two parents, and they have at least two parents, and, and those parents have at least two parents, all right? So there's a little math here, but are you following me? You have at least two parents, four grandparents, and eight great-grandparents, okay? Now, the mental exercise is this. Of your great-grandparents, how many of them can you name, how many of them do you know their first and last name? Right? Unless, you're, unless you're really into genealogy, I'm guessing not many. right? And if you know their names, how much do you know about them? What were their jobs? What were they like as parents or as people, as neighbors? Here's what I find helpful about this. In three generations, I am going to be almost completely forgotten, even by my own family. Okay, That's morbid to think about, but I want you to hang with me. My children's grandchildren will have only a vague knowledge of me at best, right? This, this, I'm not trying to depress you here, but I'm working towards this point, which is that in a very short, name, in a very short time, your name is going to be forgotten, okay? Just, let's, just, let's just own that. That's going to happen. But the fact that your name is forgotten does not mean your life will not have left a mark, that your life will not have left a residue, a legacy, something that's different because you are here. So what do you want that to be? Maybe you want to build a business that lasts, something adaptable, something that endures, something that your kids can take over after you're done with it. Maybe maybe your kids themselves are what you're planning to leave behind, kids who are are mature and well-adjusted, and they can raise kids who are successful and well-adjusted as well. Maybe Success for you would be a creation of a work of art, uh, a painting, a poem, an album, something that will last the test of time, something that will touch people beyond your life. Maybe you just want to do something that leaves Cayman as a more just community than it was before you lived here. What is it for you? 
I can tell you what it was for Paul. Paul wrote this letter at the end of his life. Paul was in a Roman prison. He was awaiting execution. And he was writing for what he, he knew could be the last time to Timothy, whom he calls here so affectionately, my child. Timothy, who had been an apprentice to him, who had traveled with him, who had almost certainly been imprisoned with him. Timothy, into whom he had poured his life. And Timothy, who was now leading a church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul, Paul's whole life had been about teaching people about Jesus, about announcing the good news about what God had done through him. And at the end of his life, he wanted to know that the message wouldn't die with him, that the work would go on. And so he, the way he wants to do that is he wants guys like Timothy to make the gospel, the good news about Jesus, secure. He wants them to hold on to it and to pass it on to others who will be able to teach others also. The legacy Paul wants to leave behind is people. People who treasure and teach the good news about Jesus. And he wants Timothy to embrace that ambition. And God wants us to embrace that ambition. And that's why these verses are in your Bible. That's why it's here. So we're talking this morning about a work that Christians often call discipling. Mentoring other Christians to pass on to them the message of Christianity and the life that that message shapes so that they can pay it forward. So remember that this sermon series, this is the third week of a new sermon series about disciple making, about what it looks like in practice to actually fulfill what Jesus said at the end of his, at the end of his life before he ascended into heaven, the Great Commission, where he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And we're trying to figure out what does that actually look like in life. And we've, each week we've imagined a number line up here. This is getting old hat for some of you. But there's a number line up here from negative 10 to 10, Negative 10 is as far from God as you can be, as, as hardened in heart as you can be. 10 is as mature as you can be. Zero is the moment when you, you're born again. You pass from death to life. You trust in Jesus. And we're saying that disciple making is about just helping people move along the line, move towards trusting Jesus, move towards maturity in Jesus. And this, this work of discipling, of making disciples, of helping people grow, is part of that work. And so God's instruction to us this morning is this. By God's grace, help others treasure and teach God's gospel. We can only leave the legacy we ought to leave if we depend on God and pass on something that will continue when we're gone. By God's grace, help others treasure and teach God's gospel. That's the big picture. Okay, that's where we're going. And we want to see that in this passage by looking at the charge we've been given and then the two ways that Paul says to fulfill that. So first, the charge Believers in the gospel must guard the gospel. I want to draw your attention to a very important word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you then. Then is the important word I'd want to draw your attention to. Why is it important? It's important because it clues us in that what Paul is telling Timothy to do here is based on what he's been talking about in this letter to this point. So we want to get some context by, by looking back at chapter 1 and reading verses 8 to 14, which I realize is even longer than the passage we're looking at, but there's no way to avoid it, so let's just go there. It's God's word. It'll be good for you. Chapter 1, verse 8, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, 
which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, I'm not going to unpack that whole passage, but I want to pick on a thread that runs through it. There's a word that's repeated twice in that passage that appears again in the verses we're looking at this morning, and it's the word entrusted. Did you see it? Look back at verse 12. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Paul has been entrusted with something. Now look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy has been entrusted with something. So that's the thread, and and chapter 2 picks up that thread. He's saying, you then, this is the way I want you to do the thing that you're supposed to do with the thing you've been entrusted with. He's saying, saying, I've been entrusted with something, I've entrusted it to you, and the way you're going to be faithful with that thing I've entrusted to you is by two things. In chapter 2, verse 1, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ, and chapter 2, verse 2, entrusting it to others who can teach others. Do you guys see that? I want you to see the big picture before we dive in. So, So Paul received something, he gave it to Timothy. Now what is the thing that Timothy's been entrusted with? What is it? Well, at the very least, it's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. Look back at chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says, this for which the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. He was entrusted with this good news, and he entrusted it to Timothy. He passed it on, and he wants Timothy to keep it safe and pass it forward. So believers in the gospel must guard the gospel. He calls this, when he talks to Timothy, he calls it the good deposit. Okay, so when you make a deposit at the bank... What is the expectation you have of them? You expect that when you come back for that money, it's still going to be there, right? That it's not, it hasn't been changed, it hasn't been diminished, hasn't been altered, right? You, it's not a donation to the bank, it's a deposit. You're, you're watching to make sure that they handle it the right way. When you, when you drop your kids off at school in the morning, your, your expectation is that, that they will still be there at 2.45, right? You, you haven't given your children to the school, you have entrusted your children to the school, expecting that they're going to be in good condition when you return. Christians are charged to guard the gospel. It's been entrusted to us so that we will pass it on faithfully to others and to the next generation. We don't get to change it. We mustn't lose it. We're charged to guard it. And here's why. Christianity is not fundamentally an institution. It's not, it's not fundamentally a system of morality. Christianity is essentially a message. It's good news about something that God has done through Jesus. And if that message is lost, Christianity is lost. You can keep going to church, you can keep paying your pastor, but once the gospel's gone, Christianity is gone. It's a message about Jesus. The gospel is everything. And why is it so important? Look at verse 10. Of chapter 1. It says, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death 
and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the message about how Jesus has abolished death. You guys know what abolished means, right? It means definitively ended. When, when slavery, when the slave trade was abolished, it was over. It, it didn't come back. It's the end, right? And the, the gospel says that Jesus has abolished death. He has definitively ended death for everyone who trusts in him. So if you're, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that death is God's judgment for sin, that we were made to live with God forever, but that all of us have turned from God. We've chosen to live for ourselves instead of for him. We, we think of ourselves and what pleases us 10 times as often as we ever think about God and what pleases him. He's an afterthought, if he's a thought at all. We were made to love him most and we love him least if we love him at all. And the consequence of abandoning God is death. First, physical death, our bodies just give out. And then spiritual death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. And what Jesus has done, what makes him our Savior Christ Jesus, is that he abolished death by taking it on himself. He was sinless. He had always loved his Father most, and yet he willingly went to death for us. On the cross, he suffered not just physical death, not just his body giving out, but infinite separation from his Father. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned by God on the cross. He abolished our death by his death. So when our bodies give out now, we who trust in Jesus, we don't pass into God's absence. We pass into his presence. We pass into his, the fullness of his love, of life, and immortality. The gospel is the cure for death. It says that Jesus has taken your death so you can share his life, and you don't even need to work for it. Look back at verse 9. It says, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. The gospel says Jesus has abolished death, and all you need to do to benefit from it is receive it as a gift. Trust in him. Don't work for it. Receive it. It's not by works. It's by grace. The gospel is the cure for death. It's the fountain of eternal life, and that's why we have to guard it. Any change to it destroys it. If we lose it, we have nothing to pass on. We are the guardians of the gospel. It's us. It's not apostles, not bishops, not books or libraries. It's us. And not just the gospel, but the life it produces. Paul tells Timothy in verse 13, he says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The gospel produces in us a life of faith and love, and we want, as we pass that message forward, we want to pass on the life as well. That's the deposit we've been given. A message and a life shaped by that message. That's the baton our life has to pass on. So how do we do it? Well, in this passage, God gives us two ways. The first is guarding requires strengthening. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, be strengthened is a strange command, right? Paul's not telling Timothy to do something. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to have this thing done to you. He doesn't say, strengthen yourself. He says, be strengthened. What does that mean? 
So I want you to imagine you've been invited to supper at a friend's house, okay? And it's, it's kind of, it's a late supper because you've wanted to get the kids in bed first, get the babysitter settled. It's late, you're hungry, you're just a little bit weak with hunger, standing at the door waiting for them to come in. And they open the door, your host opens the door, and you just see this feast laid out before you. And your host says, be filled. What does that mean? It means just receive, you're, I can tell you're hungry. You're a little pale. I've made all of this for you. Just, just all you have to do is just come in and eat. Just receive what I've provided. When God says, be strengthened, he's saying, I know that you're not up to this. I know that you don't have what you need, so be strengthened. I, get, receive my strength. I want you to have it. I'm not, I'm not calling you to do anything I'm not going to fill you for. Now, we'll talk in a minute about what that strength is, but first, why do we need it? We need to be strengthened because guarding the gospel is hard. It's hard because we can be deceived. There's a lot we don't know about the Bible. So we're, we're always learning, right? We're reading books and we're listening to preaching. And not every teaching is good. Not every teaching is true. There are teachers who are confident and charismatic and they're persuasive and they're popular and they're wrong. They're not teaching the truth. And we need strength to not be deceived. And guarding the gospel is hard because we'll be opposed, right? Believing that the Bible is true all the way through, believing that salvation is only found in Jesus, that is going to mean living with a headwind. It means swimming against the stream of culture. I mean, mainstream culture is getting to the point where people don't even feel like they have to argue against Christianity anymore. They feel like they can just dismiss it because it's so obviously ridiculous, it's this relic from a pre-scientific, um, superstitious world. It has nothing to say to modern people. It's just judgmentalism and legalism. And we're gonna, it's going to be hard not to get worn down just by the way that people think of Christians, just by the, the misrepresentations in the media, by continually having to justify ourselves to other people. And the temptation will be to either go dark and just kind of, Go into the surface, not let anybody know you're a Christian, or to start adjusting the message so it's a little bit less bothersome. Well, I'm not, I'm not really like them. I'm not, I'm not all about the rules. It's just, it's, it's just this. This is what it is. It's not this. We're, we're going to change it. We'll be tempted to change it so that we can just go along a little bit more easily. And we can't do that, so we'll need strength. And it's hard because this priority of knowing the gospel and passing it on gets crowded out by other things, right? You get into a busy season at work, and, and weeks go by without even opening your Bible, right? Months go by without being at community group or, or being here on Sunday morning. You have a couple kids, and, and you just need a little space, and then years go by, and things that used to be at the top of your list have just fallen off your list. Things that used to be so clear and important to you are just fuzzy and undefined. We need strength to stay focused, and this is of such importance to Paul that he says this one first, right? He doesn't say, Timothy, you have a deposit you've been entrusted to. I want you to teach it to others so they can teach others. But don't forget God's grace and strength. No, he says, first, be strengthened. Then do the thing that I'm calling you to do. It's, it's like on the airplane, right? You have to secure your oxygen mask before you secure it on the people around you. You first need to be strengthened before you can help anyone else. Okay, so how practically do we do this? How can we be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus? Well, if the grace is in Christ, 
then we need to do the things that strengthen our relationship to him, that help us draw near to him. We take in his word by reading the Bible, listening to preaching. We pray. We worship. We gather as a church and we take the Lord's Supper together, remembering his death and his presence with us. Christians have historically called these things the means of grace. They're the pipelines through which God pours his grace and his strength into our lives. Guarding the gospel, making disciples, we can only do these things if we're in consistent, intimate fellowship with Jesus, receiving his strengthening grace. So are you? Are you doing this? Paul, he says it first because it's of first importance. There's a reason why Christians worship on the first day of the week. There's a reason why Christians have historically given their earliest morning hours or minutes to prayer and reading the Bible. Are you being strengthened by grace in order to hold on to the good news about Jesus? Do you know what an unfunded mandate is? That's kind of a wonky politics word. An unfunded mandate, at least in the U.S., which is where I'm from, an unfunded mandate is something that the federal government, the national government, says that state governments have to do but they don't give them any resources for it. It's unfunded. You have to do it. We're not going to help, right? God never gives unfunded mandates. There is nothing he tells us to do that he doesn't intend to supply the strength and the resources and the funds for. So are you tapping into that through a daily walk with him? Okay, so God, remember I said God has given us two ways to guard the gospel. The first It requires strengthening, and secondly, guarding requires giving. We have to pass it on. Look at verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We guard the gospel by giving it away. We deposit it in others. We entrust it to others who will entrust it to others. Now, I thought of an illustration for this that, that is a terrible illustration, but If by it being terrible, it will help you remember it, then that will be a success. Okay, so I'm going to get a hard time about this later. So in in Harry Potter, Voldemort, Voldemort is the enemy, right? And Voldemort, he wants to live forever. He does not want to be destroyed. So what does he do? He, somebody already sees where I'm going, it's terrible. He divides his soul into seven pieces and he hides it in artifacts called horcruxes. And you can't kill Voldemort until you destroy all the horcruxes, right? Like he, he guarantees his survival by dividing himself in all these places. And this is, I know this is terrible. In the same way, we ensure that the good news about Jesus goes forward, isn't lost, becomes a source of life and immortality till Jesus comes back by depositing it in many places. We don't hide it away. We give it to people. We fill the world with people who know this truth, love this truth, and can teach others also. We multiply disciples. So we're not talking now about evangelizing. We're not talking about telling about, talking about Jesus to people who don't know him and don't trust him so that they will trust him. That's important, and we talked about that last week, but we're talking about discipling, intentionally investing in other Christians, usually less mature Christians, to help them do what we're trying to do. Be strengthened by grace. Teach others. We, we help people who are already on this side of the number line move this way. Move towards maturity. So the gospel comes to Paul, and he, he doesn't just pick one apprentice, right? He, he intentionally pours his life into Timothy and Titus and Barnabas and Silas and Luke. He invests in all these guys 
And then Titus goes to Crete, and Titus replicates it. He invests in people there. And Timothy goes to Ephesus, and he replicates it. He invests in people there. They make disciples in the churches. Those Timothy teaches, they teach others who teach others, and all down history until it comes to us. This isn't just something pastors do. And you could misunderstand this because Timothy is a church leader, right? And so Paul says to Timothy, I want you to to teach this and trust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we could think, well, he's just talking about pastors. Timothy should train pastors. This is really a job for someone else. This really isn't a job I need to worry about. But that word there where he says faithful men, it isn't males. It isn't elders. It's humans. It's people. He wants Timothy to entrust the gospel to people, to fill the whole church with it. Right? So there's, there's a place in Paul's letter to Titus where he says something very similar, but in a different context. He says, older women are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So this isn't just a program for training pastors. It's a vision for a kind of community that's deeper than just we all go the same place on Sunday morning. A community where more mature Christians intentionally invest in newer Christians in such a way that those people, as they grow, can then pay it forward to others. Now, some of you may have been involved in campus ministries. If you were already a Christian um, in varsity, you might have been involved in a campus ministry. And I think campus ministries generally do this way better than churches. So in campus ministry, when a kid gets on campus, you've got three or four years to invest in that person before they launch off into the world. You've got to get right to it. So what do they do? They, these first years get into Bible studies where a third-year student mentors them intentionally, and that third-year student is being mentored by a graduate student or somebody on staff. Everybody has somebody that they're pouring into. There's this network of maturing Christians being mentored by someone down the road and then mentoring someone who's coming behind them. So how could that look at sunrise? Remember, we want to we build relationships in which we can pass on both the gospel and the lifestyle the gospel shapes in us. We want to we teach but we also want to pass on a kind of life. So maybe there's a guy in your community group. He's new to the church, and he's just said offhand that he's, he's coming back to Christianity after a, a long time away. So you could ask if he's interested in meeting for breakfast on Saturdays and just reading chunk by chunk through a book of the Bible, through Mark or Colossians, just talking about what God has done through Jesus and how to live because of it. Or maybe you're a couple and you've got five or ten years of marriage under your belt. And on a Sunday morning, you've met an engaged couple or a newly married couple. And you could, couldn't you just have them over for dinner one week, one, one night a month, and just talk about how the truth about Jesus, the grace of Jesus, shapes married life and conflict? Or maybe you and another woman both work at the same firm. Could you offer to meet before work every couple weeks just to, to read a book about faith and work together and then pray for each other as you go into your day. And, and you're saying, Brett, in what imaginary free time do you think that I could add something like this to my life? And I know, I know, we are, we are so good at making ourselves 25% busier than we even can be, so we're never getting to the bottom third of the things on our list, I know. But could you get creative and just involve people in the things that you're already doing? Could you meet for lunch? You're going to eat anyway, right? Could you do your grocery shopping with someone else? You have got to buy food. Could you, if you're going to exercise anyway, why don't you run together at such a pace that you could talk while you jog? 
Could you just fold people into your life where you're already doing things? Get creative, but do make time for this. This is our legacy. This is what we leave behind. The people to whom we've entrusted the gospel so they can pass it on when we're gone. Maybe you're thinking, I would really like someone to do this for me. I'd love to meet with an older Christian to better understand what the Bible teaches and how to live it out. That's great. Ask someone. But before you do, take a look at yourself to see whether your life demonstrates that you're really interested in owning this and passing it on. Because what what's the criterion Paul gives Timothy for who to look for? He says, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Someone who, who can take it and teach others. Look for someone already showing an eagerness to grow. Someone who's, someone who's here on Sunday morning. Someone who does come to community group. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that, and Paul's not saying, he's not saying just cut loose those people that are only at church half the time. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying look for someone faithful to entrust this to. Someone who's going to be able to teach others also. And maybe you're thinking, I see the goodness of this, but I don't know if I'm up to it. Well, you're not. And neither am I. And that's why Paul tells us to be strengthened by grace. The charge God is giving us is to, by God's grace, help others treasure and teach God's gospel. By God's grace, in his strength, you can't do it on your own. But Jesus came from heaven to abolish death, to bring you to life, and to so unite you to himself that he can give you all that you need to do what he's calling you to do. Before you're anyone's mentor, you're his disciple. And he will give you the wisdom and courage and capacity you need. Paul says in Romans, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Everything we need. Let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled that, that we are where you have decided to safeguard your gospel. That this amazing news about Jesus, you haven't hidden it away in a, in a locked box in a distant tower. You have given the gospel to us to guard it and to pass it on. And we are amazed by the trust you've shown in us and we want to be faithful we want to be faithful to you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to do this, that you would help us to be strengthened by your grace. Not to just try to do things in our own strength, but to, become, to come to you daily, empty, weak, asking for you to use us, that you would fill us with your spirit. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see the people around us in whom we could in, invest the gospel, to whom we could entrust the gospel, people that we can help along the way of growing in Christ. I pray that you would do this in the Sunday school teachers, those who are, those who are teaching children among us, that you would help them to pass the gospel faithfully on to those kids, to those who are leading community groups, that you would help them to pass the gospel on to their groups, just to the rest of us, just ordinary Christians, that you would help us to see where you want us to invest in others and that you would make us a church that's that connected, not just people who gather the same place on Sundays, but people whose lives are intertwined because we are constantly passing the good news back and forth, helping one another grow in, in trusting it and living it. We pray that you would do this for the glory of Jesus. 
in the Cayman Islands and around the world. We pray in his name. Amen.